This is The Bloom Pod, and I'm Taylor Onion. And I'm Melissa Lutz. Each episode, we bring you an interview with an everyday person who is chasing big dreams. I interview the guests for the first part of the show, and then Melissa and I come together and recap some of the main points at the end. With the occasional shenanigan. This week's guest is an author, a mother, a lawyer, a former student athlete. We are so excited to have had her on. She brought a fantastic new perspective that we've not had before on the show. So without further ado, please enjoy our discussion with Sivanya. Now it's official. We are we are officially underway. So this is this is another. Um, we had a previous episode where I said it's been long overdue. This is another episode where it has been long overdue. This conversation between the two of us we connected earlier this year uh, mm-hmm. when I was in my previous role uh, at an institution of which you are an alum. Um, and so I'm excited to to have you on today. Have you share a little bit more about your your story? I know a little bit of it, but I'm excited to to dig into it a little bit more and, and uh, talk about all the great things that you've been doing. So without further ado, I will kick it to you and, and we'll have you kind of kick things off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Yay. Thank you so much. And thank you for allowing me to come onto your beautiful podcast. So for all of you guys out in the podcast world um, who don't know me or are familiar with me, I am Florida born and raised (laughs) to my core. I am a country girl. Um, But one thing about me is that I've always known that I wanted to be a lawyer. And I guess that provides the leadway into my professional nickname, the protector of athletes. I've known that protecting other people has been at the core of who I am. Um, But just a little background, I graduated from USF and was also a track and field athlete there. From that, I went on to get my master's degree with Everest. And during that time, I actually just did that because I was bored. (laughs) So during that time, I was applying to law schools and um, got accepted into law school up in Michigan and finished my master's degree the same semester I started law school. So that was extremely chaotic. Asked me to do that again in today's time, probably is not gonna happen. Um, so from that moment, um, once I graduated law school, studied for the bar, took it, passed it on the first try, thank God, and could not find a opportunity to work in a firm. And so that forced me to really look in, in evaluate not only who I was, but my self-worth and then go out and hang my own shingle. So that's me in a nutshell. There's a lot of things that I've done and we can dive into that if you want to, but that's the genesis of Savania. I don't know that I have ever heard anybody say that they did their master's because they were bored. (laughs) I don't know that I've, that I've heard that before. So I appreciate that. Uh, coming from you, but um, so when did you, I mean, you were a track and field student athlete formerly. Um, when did you first become interested in sport? Uh, at what point then does that interest in sport transition to, you know, who you are today as, okay, I want to, I want to, you know, mix some law into this, mm-hmm. make some protector of athletes into this. What is that? What does that journey look like? Yeah, my mom had us. I'm so I'm the eldest of four and my mom had us in sports. Jesus, since I can remember. (laughs) Um, So sports has always been a part of our lives. And it's hilarious for me because I was the kid who didn't want to get dirty. 
I didn't want my shoes dirty. <laughs> I didn't want my clothes dirty. I try to keep my uniforms clean. It is almost <laughs> impossible, depending on what sport you're in, to keep a uniform clean. Um, but sport had always been a part of my life and my upbringing. I can honestly say it wasn't until I think I graduated college that I realized how important sport was in my life. Um, up into high school, there were some very important lessons that I know I learned that I didn't recognize until I was a professional. Same thing with college. Some of the coaches that I've had, they're still like mentors in my life. They're fathers to me. Um, and so it really, I think for some of our kids, when you have the ability and the option to be in sport so long as a child, you just think it's a way of life. You know, where other people, they don't, they may not understand it the way that we do because we've been a so-called this athlete for so long, but there's so many life lessons that you learn along the way, including how to be a leader. But the importance of being a leader is also knowing how and when to follow. It's learning how to, you know, listen to directions and listen to your teammates about issues that, you know, may occur on and off the field, Right. It's about being empathetic. It's about creating this type of group collaborative um, network and camaraderie of people, even if you're in an individualized sport, right? Because the collective itself is still the importance, you know, the big picture of the team. And so sport just, it's, man, it's a foundation that I knew I had, but I didn't know I had it. And um Going into law, like, actually, I went into law thinking I was going to be a criminal justice attorney. <laughs> mm. Interesting. I, yeah, I thought I was going to be a criminal law attorney, like, seriously. Um, and it was my first year, uh, my first full year as a lawyer, where that emotion of athleticism and wrongness, um, you know, it just it was drudged up in me from this this episode that I saw about athletes going broke. And at the time I was actually, I think I was taking family law cases because that was I hung my own shingle and it was a ton of people that needed family law attorneys. Nothing I wanted to do, but you know, <laughs> right. you gotta pay the bills. Right. You gotta pay the bills, you make it work. And when I saw this um this show that came on, I was like, dang, you know, it struck a nerve with me. And that was definitely an initial inclination that I need to do something for my people, you know? Um, and then that emotion just stayed. Unfortunately, at that time, I didn't have enough courage or confidence to try to move within those spaces because it was, well, I haven't done this yet, or I don't know enough people in this space yet, or I have not represented an athlete yet. Right. And so that rejection of fear around it was the thing that kept me from doing what I know I needed to do until like 2017, when I had my kid, it was, it was a wake up call. It was like, okay, issue came back up again the feelings and the emotions stretched up again. And that's really the, the moment where I started to plan and prepare. I even started changing my firm around to support athletes before I even had an athlete client. Wow. Wow. So this is deep. This is deep. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I want to go back. This is, this is a question, uh, really, uh, uh, selfishly personal question because of some of the work I'm doing on my dissertation, but I want to go back to something you said 
as you were talking through there and you mentioned that your uh, coaches are really important along the way. You said they're like fathers to me. So to, I'm taking that to mean that you had no female coaches throughout your athlete experience. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, I want to say, well, let me think. Jesus. And the <laughs> fact that I got to even think is the, it means that even if they were there, there wasn't a huge impact. Right. It wasn't was, significant. Right. Yeah. It wasn't significant enough for me to know. Um, I believe that there were female coaches there. Maybe not coaching my, like my team or my, the segment of my team, you know, like my, my event. Right. Um, but honestly, I can't, I can't remember. Do you think that ha- that not having any females in leadership roles as you were coming up as a student athlete, did that impact in any way, you know, the spaces that you could see yourself in from a career standpoint? Did it impact from a leadership standpoint? If you're seeing consistently, you know, oh, I, I look up to and respect these male coaches that I have, but what does that say for the other mm. side, right? Like, what does that say for women? Has, yeah. Did that impact you in any way? I think looking back on it, I can see how it could play a subconscious impact on me, you know, Um, but being of African descent, a black woman in America, wanting to be a lawyer and have dreamt of this at the age of four, I had never seen anyone who looked like me who was a lawyer. Right. Let alone running their own law practice. So for a lot of people, I think it may have looked like a pipe dream for this little black girl from the country to say she wanted to be a lawyer. And then the next question is, how does she even know what that is at four? Right. Right. Um, So then when you start moving up the ladder, so to speak in, in different aspects of your life, and there's no one who looks like you in those spaces or no one who shares the same gender as you in those spaces, it can be pretty daunting. And the fact that if you don't see women there, who are making these types of impacts um, around you, like I said, subconsciously, you start to think, going back to my situation about delaying the the process of me representing athletes, you start to think that I got to do all this stuff to now appreciate and see my own worth because there are other people like me who haven't even ascended to those roles yet. And it's honestly, it's such a false narrative and it's so just overplayed, like, it's something that I wish society could eliminate immediately. And I, I recently had this conversation with a, a young lady who is trying to figure out her next move because she works in corporate law, very new lawyer. And some kind of way she found out about me and she's like so infatuated with what I'm doing. She's like, oh my God, it looked like you just made your own lane. And how did you do this? Da, 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 da. I said, look, it's not easy. And what looks like it might be easy on the outside, I'm still, you know, burning down (laughs) bushes and everything Mm -hmm. to push my way into rooms that I know I deserve to be in. But is is that a sentence that I could have said six, seven years ago? Probably not. And I think a lot of that has to do with who is in the spaces that are fully representative of the entire country. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. That was, like I said, that was a, a little side tangent just for my own. <laughs> no, I like that question. Cause it made me really think about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Just, just for my own personal curiosities and, and obviously <laughs> it's related to the, the work that I'm doing on my dissertation, but uh, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. So, okay. I mean, as I was doing my research on you uh, to kind of build upon, you know, what I knew from, from our meeting last spring, I'm finding out all kinds of exciting things, right? I see, obviously I knew that you were about to, to release a book, which we'll get to a little bit later at the time on NIL stuff. But I also find that not only that wasn't your first book, right? You released this series uh, of children's books is what I read, JoJo's Legal Adventures. So talk to me about that. How did that come to be? What is it about? What is it? What, what is oh JoJo's God. Legal Adventures? I love that whole concept and I'm not even done writing all of the books to the series. Well, I've done writing, not done publishing. Um, so when, when I became pregnant, um, I would read and sing and do all kinds of, just talk to my baby, right? Just start that bond off very early. And when he came, um, doing the same thing, reading to him and I could tell I'm super animated child it's like a whole situation when i read <laughs> all the characters you gotta bring out you know different voices all that yeah it's a full production it is a legit full production when his father reads to him he's like okay this is not gonna work but um earlier on when he was he just turned four recently um so around like one close to two I could see like how he would get into the stories and everything. And I was going and finding so many stories or, or like real books for kids on science and mathematics, but I could not find anything on law and law is something that I'm so passionate about. I feel like a lot of people don't give it um, enough credit, you know, until something happens and then you're trying to figure out how the, how the law works for you. And so considering that it's, it's my profession, it's something that I've always been passionate about. I wanted to find some kind of legal concepts to read to my child so that he already has a foundation, you know, when he grows up. And actually there's a few books on, I have a couch over here in my office and he will come through and he'll open it. He say, mama, Jojo, Jojo, because that's, that's his nickname. Jojo and he opened a book and he started reading and he sees mommy and papa and you know and it's it's such a beautiful thing um but I know that I needed to fill a void there are no legal concept books out there for children especially when we're talking about ages what three to ten Mm-hmm. And the only ones that are out there are, you know, more issues around government or presidents and, and that kind of stuff. But the problem is, and here's a, here was another issue that I was trying to fulfill and hopefully that I am doing, is starting a conversation earlier on with the Black community around how to utilize the law for yourself. And I think for so many of us, the law is scary because the only connection we have with the law is criminal justice. Mm -hmm. That is not the only way the law plays out. But even if (laughs) that is your first inclination with the law, right? If you know your own rights, if you know how the law is supposed to work, it will work in your favor because you'll be smarter because of it. Right. So that was the whole premise behind it. Fill in a void. I love it. That's more than filling a a void. That goes way deeper than just that. I love that. 
I love that. So let's, so from a children's book to now, obviously the work that you've just done with your, your book on NIL stuff, let's talk, let's shift gears again and talk a little bit about that. So this obviously is not a book that's for children, uh, but it is a book that is meant to educate, hopefully, you know, fill some kind of a void. This is a brand new topic that has run rampant, obviously in the field of college athletics. And really, I mean, dare I say the entire country for the past you know, six months to a year, it's, it's been insanity. So talk to me about that. What, what spurred, you know, the inspiration for you to want to write a book on this topic that no one has really broached before in the college space? Yeah, absolutely. And I will look, I'm just going to say it. Ain't nobody wrote a book on NIL (laughs) except for me. Okay. What? Go ahead. Go ahead. Get your flowers. Um, Yes, yes, yes. Um, so the year prior, which I was so afraid to do going back to the fears thing. But in 2019, I, I was like, okay, how am I really going to position myself in the sport community to show these athletes that I am who they need. And that took me to writing. What are you sporting? uh, What are you sporting about? Which um, inspired the pod, my podcast. And almost immediately because NIL conversations were still out there and articles about congressmen and their views on it or whatever were out there. And I'm like, I told myself, I said, Oh my God, why am I keep giving myself all this work that I'm not getting paid for? Cause I knew I had to write a book for it. I needed to speak to student athletes. And initially the book wasn't called athletes making moves. And I hired this young lady, Audrey Richmond, who is when I tell you a beast for marketing, um, I hired her to, it, it was like a VIP day around marketing for my book. And she saw the original cover, the original name. And she asked me, she said, well, is this name, image, and likeness apply to more than just college athletes? And I thought about it, but I told her, I say it absolutely does. And especially from a legal perspective, it does. Everybody has name image and likeness right mm-hmm. and how what how and what you do with it is telltale of, of what is gonna either provide you in the future and so she gave me feedback on the cover and everything and by the end of that meeting the whole name of the book had shifted and changed you know and I was definitely afraid to do that because I'm like I've already put stuff out there right, you know right. with the old cover like what is people going to think about this you know the whole brand creation you don't want to lose people in the process But it really was, you know what, you got to get the courage to just do this because it's an important subject that folks need to know about, but it's not a one-sided thing where it only stays at the college level. How do these individuals take name, image, and likeness to protect them? How do they protect their name, image, and likeness post-college sports? And so what I did in this book was I start off with a personal conversation around the person right? Shifting mindsets and talking about accountability and talking about education, but using education as a a tool and a method for excelling. But it's almost like a formula because there is no way you can do one or the other. You got to do all three and you got to keep implementing them at every step and phase of your life. So now once we talk about the person, we break some stuff down, use some case studies for athletes who have made major mistakes and caused them big, you know, how do we now understand what name, image and likeness is really about? And so I go into the historical issue around name, image and likeness, um, NCAA, um, and then I take that into present day and break down statute. I only use two states that are very different 
that pretty much kind of speak for everybody else. Um, but I break those statutes down and take the athlete on a journey of creatively thinking about legal issues that can stem from these statutes, from people who are creating rules, who don't know you, they don't know your situation, but how do you as a person promote your own interest? Right. And so then throughout the book, there's um, contracts and building relationships and setting brands and examples of, of brands that have failed because of certain things. There's estate planning. And I mean, it's just so much in this book <laughs> that I honestly feel these athletes can utilize it at this phase beyond whether they go pro or not, whatever it is that you want to do. You are creating, we do this all the time. We create intellectual property every day. You're creating intellectual property right now, but how to protect it. And most people who do well with this are the ones who get that information and start to implement it earlier on. Interesting. I think, and this is from my own perspective, so it may be skewed, but I think that the legal aspects of NIL have largely been left out of the conversations that we're having. I mean, we're focused on financial literacy and making sure student athletes know how, you know, tax implications could impact Pell Grants and scholarships and these different things. We're talking about branding, obviously, from a, from a personal standpoint, from a business standpoint. Those are kind of the two spaces that everybody has had their eyes on, you know, this whole time. And I think early on, there were a couple of, of, you know, blanket deals for most student athletes. I remember seeing, I can't think of the name of the company, but one that was a video game company where student athletes could, you know, come on as a, a player for whatever the gaming company was and they get 20 bucks, but you have to, of course, you know, scroll through, agree to whatever and move on. Most student athletes are not doing that. In this case, did not do that and got locked into, hey, we can take whatever and use it this way, this way, this way. But as the person on the other side of it, as the athlete, they were not able to use any of their own, you know, take any of that content, use it for their own personal gain to boost their brand or anything like that. So I think it's a, it, again, just as you did with the children's book, it's filling a void, right? Because people aren't it's, talking about it. Right. It's completely filling a void. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought up you know, the intellectual property stuff, because like with branding, because we go, I go deep into legal branding, like how do, what is legal branding mm -hmm. and how do you protect all the stuff that you're creating? Because, you know, even with those agreements that these, these students are signing, now you're dealing with contract law. But if you are allowing someone to take your name, a lot of the contracts will just say name and likeness, right? So here's an example. I represent a, a professional athlete who had a, a contract come in and there was a section in that contract that said name and likeness and that they will have a perpetual use of this professional athlete's name and likeness, right? And perpetual for people who don't know is indefinite. Mm -hmm. It's forever. Um what kind of damage would that create for you? Right. Right. Because now effectively you've licensed away your right, your name and your, your likeness to another third party with that prohibit you from being able to do the same with your own name and likeness later in life. And for those who have not saw this documentary yet, I urge you to go and watch the Bob Ross documentary mm, i'm actually yes i don't know if you noticed you my t-shirt I'm, I'm wearing a bob ross t-shirt right now <laughs> that is awesome but yeah i mean that is a great documentary around building up name image and likeness 
and how contract law comes into play, how theft comes into play, fraud, all types of things, right? Business interference. And I know it, I know the legal aspects around it seems like such a dry topic, but let's be real. If we are not finding ways to implement these conversations um, in the NIL talks with student athletes, we're going to have a completely different conversation when it comes to these kids being burnt. And then who is going to be the person liable for the injuries that are sustained? Right. Who can they turn it back on? Yeah, right. that's that's a great point. I think this is something, you know, when you're talking about uh, licensing and contract law and, and some of these different pieces, the, the first space that my mind goes to is music, right? When you think of a band or a musician who's, you know, maybe there's a part of a song. The one that I'm thinking of right now is um, Vanilla Ice and what he sampled, which I don't even know. I don't remember how that turned out, but a piece of Under Pressure which is a song by Queen. So the beginning of, of uh, what the heck is the name of the song? You know, that's like, dun, 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 dun. You know what I'm talking about. So that's ice, this. Ice baby. Yes, Ice Ice Baby. I'm like, man, why could I not think of this right now? So, but that's the same way that Queen's song starts off. And so there was, I think, I'm going to not speak out of turn here and say there was a huge legal battle, but I do remember there being talks about, you know, hey, you took this, you didn't ask us, whatever. Uh, and I want to say there was a little loophole that it was like, no, mine is slightly, mine's slightly different. Mine does this and yours does that. But that's the first thing that we think of, right? In terms of like, or that I'm thinking of in terms of like intellectual property or sounds and those things. And it's easy to say, hey, you copied me or hey, you took something that I created. When it comes to name, image, and likeness, that's me. Right. So I'm, it's not anywhere in my head that I would think, oh, someone's going to like pirate my, my name, my image, my likeness. And of course we have, you know, fraud and all these kind of things as far as name goes. But when it comes to, when, when it comes to what we're talking about with this legislation and with what it can do for college athletes or what it can, you know, the, the havoc that it can wreak potentially on their, their career, their future life, whatever it may be. It's just not something from a legal standpoint that most people are considering at all. So it's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And if the whole premise of, which I believe is of NIL is to help these student athletes to create a foundation to pay dividends, you know, in the future, well, then we're kind of setting them up for failure by not having these conversations in the first place, because all we will be doing is re-perpetuating the same issues with what professional athletes have gone through the only difference would be is that these college athletes will experience that much sooner right yeah exactly this is this i mean case in point what you just said is exactly why student athlete development as a field is so 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 important because it is the education it's the you know, and I think in general, it's it's the fluff, right, of the student athlete experience where, oh, yeah, I learned my resume and I learned interview skills and maybe I learned the legal aspects of NIL. But that's not what keeps or prevents me from playing on the weekends. So whatever, maybe I show up for that event, maybe I don't. But I think it's it, it's going to be interesting to see how legislation like NIL, which now, you know, in this case right now, as it is at the state level, it is literally a law. It's going to be interesting to see what that does for, for student athlete development. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting. And I know a lot of every state has their own take on it. Um, some states require athletic departments to provide professional personal development and mm-hmm. finance. Um, but I, 
if I'm just going to say when federal legislation comes down, because I feel like it's just way too much confusion for there not to be federal um, legislation. But when federal legislation does come out, I would hope that there would be some something in the statute for legal preparation, because I mean, these kids are stepping into entrepreneur roles. I mean, yeah. you know, in my mind, they've already been entrepreneurs because someone has given you something of value for your talent. Right. right. But now, outside of that, you have an opportunity to build something. I mean, absolutely amazing. And who knows what your name may be worth. Right. Right. You know, 10 yeah. years from now, who yeah. knows what. And when we talk about likeness, we're really talking about your reputation. Mm-hmm. When people can use the likeness of you for their benefit. Right. What does that look like? Right. Because you can create this entire persona that's so huge that as long as someone is connected to you, they can get paid so handsomely just because of your reputation. Right. How do we legally protect that? And then what is the professional development around those protections? And and you're right, though, this is the conversation that's left out too much. And, you know, I had a conversation with um, a coach, a basketball coach, and I was telling him that I'm having a hard time connecting with schools, trying to talk to these kids about these issues. Unfortunately, it's going to be almost like clients who come to my firm and think that they can DIY everything. Mm-hmm. And then they have to come back and like, Oh my gosh, I should have just hired you. Right. It's gonna be a mess. Right. I'm curious to know from your standpoint, and we're getting into the weeds on this. I promise there's going to be a, a transition. We'll move into the next space, but I'm curious to know. So the, the biggest difference, and this is not something in my professional career, in my time as a student athlete that I've seen. So the NCA is the governing body of, you know, for member institutions, for those student athletes. When we talk about academic eligibility, when we talk about compliance, those kind of things, you have to check and make sure that you're good to go before you do something. With the state legislation for NIL, the way that it has come down, from what I have seen, there are not I don't see the repercussions. I don't see the reporting. I don't see any of those things. And my knowledge is, I would say, limited uh, to the state of Florida and what the law is here, but just because I, I worked here, so I'm more familiar with it. Obviously, there's different ones depending on what state you're in. But if there are no, you know, there's not, uh, when it's a law, like, hey, you got to wear your seatbelt, a cop is not showing up every day to make sure that I wear my seatbelt. If I'm an NCA student athlete and I want to do literally anything wearing my uniform, saying I'm an athlete, whatever, I have to go and check with compliance. So in that sense, there is a cop showing up to, to check on the seatbelt from a student athlete perspective. With this legislation and the way that it is set up, because it is so different from what we've seen, you know, from a from a rules and protocol standpoint from the NCAA, what happens? If a student athlete doesn't get the five hours of financial education, what happens if they don't, you know, follow what their state says as far as, you know, being able to uh, learn these, the, the educational pieces of it. But then there's also, of course, the, you know, you have to report X, Y, or Z in some states. So what are the repercussions that would exist if a student athlete fails? And does, does that impact them? You know, are, are they now a criminal or does that only impact their eligibility? from a student athlete perspective. And therein lies the issue. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because I've literally have been reading 
like every state who has either either enacted or proposed legislation i have read like all of them and i think florida actually had in their um, statute has this these workshops that this, the yeah. athletic associations have to do i don't know how i remember all this stuff but <laughs> <laughs> but um but that's the problem is too many there's a lot of loopholes in the statutes um, it's not consistent from state to state. And now with schools who, with states that do have these opportunities, I also think about the transferring of student athletes and what that looks like. Um, uh, mostly all of them that I've, that I know of have prohibited conduct from the NCAA or similar athletic associations. Um, and they attempt to describe what that is. But there is no law saying that they can't create their own organizational rules about what the compliance would be. But here's the problem about compliance. The NCAA and the individual schools will have to make sure that their compliance are not conflicting with what is law. What is possibly going to happen is there may be a ton of litigation that you know, <laughs> is hitting the dockets everywhere where there's enacted NIL law because someone said that it doesn't conflict and another person says that it does. And that's why we need federal legislation. But even with the federal legislation, still you are talking about people who are making laws. And I say this in my book, people who are making decisions and making laws about issues that they've never dealt with personally and folks that have never probably even tried a case in court meaning and this happens even now with transactional lawyers if you've never even had to argue the law and see why things um create such a void you would never know that the way that you're creating it is creating a void like it doesn't even answer a question and i give you an example conflict of interest one of the things I've put or the discussions that I have in, in Athletes Making Moves is all of these statutes talk about a student athlete not being able to um, create a conflict of interest. And the most the general way that we think about it is, you know, a brand. The school has a relationship with an established brand. But what if that's not the case? What if the student athlete goes out and get this amazing brand and then the school goes behind the student athletes back and procures that brand and issue hey you created there's a conflict of interest here you have to cut your your nil contract how are those issues resolved because right. who created the conflict first right and now we're looking at an equitable issue is that something that can be you know um be lodged in court on the title nine i mean on the yeah on the title nine who knows? I mean, there's so many questions around the legislation, but that's also why it's so important for athletes to have every tool possible to document, to track, to understand every deal that comes their way to understand how their intellectual property rights work. Right. So that when these things do happen and there is so much confusion, you have a good grasp and lease onto what, you know, what you can get out of the situation. 
It's so sticky. All of it is so sticky. That's crazy. That's crazy. All right. So as promised, uh, we did get into the weeds on that a little bit, which I love because it's nice to have a, a, you know, resident expert in the, in the screen across from me here, but, um, I want to shift gears into kind of the final, final phase of the show here. So, uh, one thing that I always ask everybody is what is one experience or maybe a series of experiences that you feel, uh, have helped you bloom into the person that you are today? Ooh, I'm going to start with the first thing I talked about, rejection. Mm. Um, one of the greatest traits of athletes, I feel like, is always, you're always working towards th- that ultimate achievement, right? And so there's a different level of resilience that I feel like is built up into us mm-hmm. that most people don't normally have. It's because we're always like, you know what, I, I got to get this regardless. And so um, I've just, I've come to learn that rejection doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me or that I lack value. It just means that maybe there's no fit there and that's not where I'm supposed to be. Um, the other series of experiences is being in tune with my fears, but not being stifled because of them. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm getting chills just talking about it because, right. of, you know, acknowledging my fear and rec- of, of writing what are you sporting about, but still moving in spite of and constantly encouraging myself and telling myself like, hey, there's no fear. Who cares what people think about it? You're going to have critics no matter what. Just do it. Just do it. And if you need a little extra comfort, pray about it. Cause that's what I had to do. Yep, yep. <laughs> I still pray about stuff, you know, but just moving in spite of fear so that you don't get stuck and stifled because that will be, that is the thing that will kill your dreams. The fear. Yep. And then I'm going to say, lastly, to continue dreaming. I like continue it. dreaming. Um, I interviewed a, a, a doctor of um, leadership a few weeks ago and he was talking about how um he recognized that his dreams were the same but they just evolved they 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 changed a little bit they shifted and i want people to know that just because things don't turn out the way that you think that they're supposed to turn out doesn't mean that your dream is actually dead maybe that means there's a different shift in how your dream or your purpose is supposed to work out so follow that get be in tune with that and just never stop dreaming i like it I like that a lot. I've got a, uh, a magnet here that's, that's in front of me on my desk that says, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? And I think that falls in line with everything that you just said. Yeah, I like it. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfectly aligned. Perfectly aligned. So with, with everything that you just said, uh, and maybe this falls into one of those categories, but what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I'm going to quote my high school coach again mind over matter. Ooh. Yeah. A classic. Very closely. Yep. Mind over matter. Um, said this to the other day. Oh my God. I still hear his voice when I hear that, that advice. Um, you know, I think our coaches are the only people that we hear when we're in the middle of a race and I'm going to take this like so deep, like our life is a, a race. Right. And so when you can hear that one person give, giving you that advice, what is happening in the moment, you're, you're focused and everything else is shut out. 
if you can do that in life, if you can do that in your sport, if you can do that in business, entrepreneurism, whatever, and block out all of the noise, don't worry about the rejection. Don't worry about the fact that you feel like you're not good enough. Block all that stuff out and implement mind over matter because it might be painful. But if you can shift and elevate your mind, you'll get through it. Yeah. Shifting the focus is is huge. That is huge. Okay. So last bit of the show here. Uh, and this is what we call, it's, it's sort of, uh, it's like a lightning round. So I've got five questions. Last one is a fill in the blank. Um, but we also like to call it the quick peel occasionally because onion peel, you know, you see where I'm going there. So uh, the first question, favorite food. Crabs. Crabs. Yes. Okay. This is, uh, we had a guest a couple of weeks ago who just said uh, crab legs. So this is, this is good. Uh, favorite genre of music. Ooh, neo soul and acoustic neo soul. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Uh, a TV show that you have recently binged. Oh girl. Um, Oh my God. I just watched this. <sighs> Ava DuVernay created this show and I cannot think of the freaking name of it. I was so emotional finishing up. Oh my gosh. I can't remember it, but these, this, they live on a farm. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the show. Oh my gosh. I'm oh man. Good. I'm going to have to look this I'm, up now. Yeah. I'm going to have to like, who's, send is, it, is it anybody like notable who's in it? <sighs> yes, there is. And my butt is like running a major. <laughs> <lane. laughs> um, oh my gosh. We'll have to come back to it. I gotta yeah. think about it. Yeah. Okay. We'll come. We'll come back. <laughs> Queen to sugar. It. Queen sugar. That's what it is. Queen sugger. Queen sugar. Okay. Yes, Queen sugar. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Oh my gosh. I <laughs> okay. literally just finished binge watching last night. I feel like that's how it works. Like you, you make it through, and then your brain is like, "We're done with this information." <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, fourth question: What is the best U.S. city? Best U.S.A. city. Or, or uh, you know what? favorite one that you visited i'll probably say san francisco oh okay yeah okay all it right so pretty uh and then last question this is the fill in the blank onions are blank <laughs> <Stink>. <laughs> would you believe that is the first time that that's been the answer really yes that oh is my god time. i hate the smell of onions <laughs> oh my gosh and that like for me growing up you know those are the oh you're making me cry or oh you stink like those are yeah. the two things right but oh no one not one I time am, i'm the first person to say the onions yes stink. you are the first person wow yeah. this is great that was a first wow <laughs> that that's was a first surprising, actually mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh that is that's the end of the lightning round the quick peel round uh and it also concludes the the discussion that we're having today so thank you so so much we'll end on a note of gratitude i appreciate you for um a being patient as i got back to recording um and b for for taking the time out of your day to to come on and chat with me oh my goodness taylor this was so fun <laughs> i really love this really really love this thank you so much for having me of course if there's anything that i can do to help you further that dissertation or something just let me know of course <laughs> i appreciate that i appreciate that all right we'll see you next time all right see you later bye stay tuned for the recap of this episode with my sidekick melissa lutz
Okay, delightful. Nailed it. Now we go. <clears throat> oh, we go? Now we go. Uh, okay, the very first note that I have written down in all caps with periods in between says, this was fascinating. Yes. Um, I will say that I was a, a little lost for um, <laughs> part of it. So one of the notes I have here is NIL question mark. Not familiar with what is happening in the space. Tay, can you give me and our listeners a brief synopsis of the changes that are happening and why this is being talked about now? Because for someone who doesn't work in athletics, and as many of our listeners may not, this is not a term I'm actually familiar with and don't know what, you know, what changes are occurring, why this is a top hot topic of discussion. Melissa, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. Also, were you reading my notes again? Because the next bullet I have says NIL is hot topic right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the uh, kind of general overview that I can give you, NIL is an acronym which stands for name, image, and likeness. So prior to... and some states still don't have the legislation, but prior to July 1st of this year, student athletes um, who participated in NCAA activities could not capitalize on their name, image, or likeness. So I say you may recall, but you probably wouldn't. Um, (laughs) Several years ago, it's probably been 10, almost 15 years ago, several Ohio State football players traded their Ohio State football gear for some tattoos So it was like, because they were, you know, trading whatever autographed gear that they had, like with the expectation from the tattoo person that they would become super famous and he has their stuff from college. They traded, there was no monetary exchange for tattoos, whatever. So that I feel like is kind of one of the biggest, um, one of the most notable pre NIL era, you know, issues. Um, there was all kind of stuff that, that came as a result of that. Um, which in some cases includes like ineligibility, like you're no longer able to play, whether it's for just a game or the rest of your career, whatever it is, or you might have awards, um, stripped from you. Your team could be ineligible for postseason play, all this like huge repercussions for capitalizing on your name, image, or likeness. There also was a UCF football player. This is in the more recent past, um, probably within the last five to seven years, I would say, who had a YouTube channel, which kind of detailed his life as a student athlete. And he monetized the channel, but the NCA said, shut it down or you can quit. And so he chose to quit because I think his business was pretty lucrative at the time. I think anyway, I guess I don't know if that's for sure positive, but that's how I remember it. Anyway, as of July 1, several states passed legislation that now says that you can uh, capitalize off your name, image, or likeness, essentially forcing the NCAA to come in and like get the ball rolling. Cause I think for a long time, it's been like, ah, we're talking about it. We're talking about it, but nothing's actually happening. So now the state says we trump you and we are coming up with our own legislation and student athletes that participate in our States will be able to capitalize. So there's recruiting benefits, obviously, um, and all kinds of other things. The bulk of what has been discussed surrounding NIL Um, from an education standpoint, and I mentioned this in the interview, is um, financial 
you know, kind of implications, taxes, this could, the money that student athletes make off of their name, image, or likeness could potentially impact grant Pell grants, you know, any kind of academic grants that they're getting or, or state um, grants that they're getting to go to school. Um, from a branding standpoint, obviously there's a lot of discussion on social media branding and how did you, you know, do you have a large following and are you verified and what kind of uh, partnerships are you seeking out and are you being intentional in what you're doing from a branding standpoint? I really have not heard anybody talk from a legal standpoint of, you know, okay, you just signed this blanket contract. You didn't read through it. You know, it's like you're going through, you're adding something new to your phone or Apple music or whatever it is. And it's like, blah, 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 blah. Do you agree? And you have to click that to be able to get to the next thing. So student athletes, a lot of what has happened in the months since July one uh, is that student athletes have gotten signed into contracts that aren't necessarily good for them. They're not necessarily reading all the way through. They don't understand maybe what some of it means. And so it just was super, super fascinating to hear that perspective of it and hear, you know, what she had to say from a legal standpoint. Sure. Man, there's so much to unpack about all of this. It's, I'm sure that most people actually are aware of this and I might be the outlier. (laughs) Didn't know this was happening in the world. Um, But like going all the way back to the story of like the Ohio state players that got essentially free tattoos. It's like you're setting without, you know, allowing them to monetize on their name, image, and likeness, you're setting them up for failure because like you literally can't get anything for free without it being like, well, was that an exchange like monetizing on your athlete status? Like if someone wants to just give you a gift, can anyone turn around and be like, Oh, that person monetized on their name, image, and likeness. Like there's so much gray area and blurred lines and that's got to be super confusing for college athletes to navigate their kids. Right. I don't know if you and same goes to like developing a brand and like essentially starting, like Savannah said, your own business, you're representing yourself, you're building a brand and freshmen in college are 18, 19. Like that's a lot of pressure on student athletes. Mm-hmm. I think carry themselves like maturely professionally, 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 and like, uh, yeah, this, this generation had, you know, Gen Z that's now coming up into the student athlete space. I think they have more knowledge and, and more awareness as it comes to social media, because they've been using it way longer than we have. I mean, for us, I'm thinking back to college and social media, Instagram, obviously Facebook existed. That was high school. Instagram definitely existed when we were in college. But I wasn't using it to build a brand. You know, I was using it to post a picture of us at Legends on a Tuesday night during Ride the right. Rail or whatever it was. And so I think about these these kids now who have millions of followers on TikTok, on Instagram, whatever. And it's all visual, right? Like there's not a lot of I don't I don't see a ton of NIL deals happening. I see about them. I hear about them from Twitter, but I don't see them happening on, do you know what I'm saying? Whereas like there's a deal to post a picture of you holding, I think it was a football player holding some kind of iced tea and that, and then it's like, add, I love this tea, whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? I'm not seeing that as much in the, in the Twitter space, but it just is gosh. I mean, such an interesting 
thing. And I don't know, you probably don't remember, but I mean, when Aaron and I, Why do you assume that? <laughs> well, it's just like a very specific thing that we were concerned about, but it would be like, you know, if there was something for free or an event for free, <laughs> we would have to stop and consider like, okay, is this free for all students or are they allowing us free because we are volleyball players? Mm. So that was always, I think the kind of the rule of thumb was like, okay, before you do anything, stop and think, does everybody have access to this or do I only have access to it because I'm a student athlete, which is bonkers because then you think about the academic support we receive, the gear that we receive, et cetera, et cetera. And all those things are like enveloped into the student athlete experience and not everybody has access to them. But then if I'm trying to say, okay, because I'm a student athlete, I'm going to use my platform and do X, Y, Z. I can't necessarily do that. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it makes sense in that you're not the one who's monetizing on it. It's the team, it's the school, it's the NCAA. Right. Right. Which for a lot of sports, is, I mean, it could be considered a form of exploitation, right? For a lot of the more high revenue sports, you look at some of these teams where coaches are being paid, you know, millions of dollars, even after they get fired, they're being paid millions of dollars on buyouts. And the student athletes who are competing can't even make a hundred bucks for signing and, you know, a few autographs on a Friday afternoon. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. So, right. And like, just monetizing on sponsorships. Like those are huge deals mm-hmm. that come through when you're sponsored by Nike, Adidas, like yeah. whatever you're sponsored yeah. by, you have big money coming in and you have athletes working their butts off for something that they're not financially benefiting from, except for maybe like, you know, a scholarship to the school they're going to. Right. But it's a huge time commitment. And I know this firsthand because I lived with three athletes in college and I found myself alone and bored in our apartment very often, which did lead to, um, as we teased in the beginning of the show, some shenanigans. (laughs) Which why not? If I'm not mistaken, several times led to us coming back and all of my things, I think we've mentioned this before, all of my things would be in Aaron's room. All of Aaron's things would be in my room. One time you <laughs> rearranged the silverware drawer. Like you, I, I can't remember exactly what you did to it, but something was wrong with the silverware drawer. Once we came back and there were a bag of potatoes in Aaron's pillowcases. <laughs> Once we came back and everything in our rooms was in the right place, but turned upside down. Yeah. <laughs> One time I switched. <laughs> this was mean because it took a long time to fully get back to normal. But I, all their gear that they got from um, being on the volleyball team, they all had the same shoes, uh, clothes, things in different sizes. And I would just switch like one of their orange Nike shoes for the other. And then they're like (sighs) running around the apartment, like who has my orange, my left orange Nike in size nine. Mm -hmm. It was really great for me. Really great for you. Not so great for um, us, the victims (laughs) of the shenanigans. (laughs) Uh, You liked it. You got a good laugh. I mean, looking back, we definitely, you know, we definitely did. There was one, uh, do you remember, okay, this is the last one and then we can get back to Savania, but (laughs) there was one time we, Aaron and I had gotten home, I think from getting groceries, maybe you had come with us, but you 
you got in the house first or you were already in no, the I'm house. <laughs> you threw eggs at us. You threw, <laughs> you threw raw eggs at us as we were carrying groceries. <laughs> Several bags, I might add, upstairs. You were so vulnerable. <laughs> we were so vulnerable. So mean. Yeah. It was it was a little bit mean. Now hilarious, but Erin, you hit her. I think it landed on her foot on her brand new Birkenstocks. <laughs> she brand new clogs. And she was so upset. I've, I rarely have ever seen Erin genuinely angry. And it was in that moment that I was like, I've taken it too far. <laughs> ah, what have you done? <laughs> Look at your life. Look at your choices. <laughs> ah, good times. Good times. Um, Okay, so the the next note after I made it past a little bit of the NIL stuff, and I come back to it later in my notes, I will have you know. Um, but she mentioned something about when she was talking about, <coughs> I can't remember if it was like intellectual property or um, branding maybe as your name. I can't remember exactly what it was that led us to this point of discussing Bob Ross. I had on just what a coincidence that day I had on my Bob Ross t-shirt. Now, I also would like to show you, I do have a Bob Ross bobblehead on my desk. Wow. He talks. I have a Bob Ross t-shirt too. Does everyone in the world just own Bob Ross t-shirts? Is that a thing? Or is that unique to us? It might be unique to us. I was going to say that it seems a little bit like I might be obsessed with Bob Ross, but this was just a weird gift. And I just really like the t-shirt because it looks like he's in space, but he's painting. I have one that, um, it's his face, but it's made up of like trees. And then it says happy little trees underneath. Okay. Can you hear him? He talks. Are you ready? I'll find out. Honestly, it just sounds like he might be broken i should look into that i think he said something about a happy little brush anyway Uh. poor bob um the documentary that she mentioned though sounds super super interesting um but anyway that that was we could have a netflix watch party and watch it together wow i think i I just watched that last night i think i did know that oh guess who has waken up from his nap again Oh, bear. It's bear. Um, I'm finding um, new ways to connect with humans. Um, I don't think we mentioned this on the last one, but I am currently quarantining in a hotel room um, in Rhode Island. So I've been stuck here for, what's day five? Mm. And um, getting a little restless. I've got uh, six more days. Mm -hmm. And... <clears throat> I'm finding any way I can to connect with people, mm-hmm. including forcing them to watch shows they don't want to watch with me on Netflix. Mm-hmm. That's a fair way to force them. I think um, this time you've had has allowed us to record recaps on a pretty regular basis, which is nice. Um, unfortunate <laughs> that this is the way that it came to be, but <laughs> nice for us to spend some time together. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I've been reconnecting with people. I talked to um I'm I'm getting off topic here, but I've talked to like all my aunts on the phone for like an hour at a time and my grandma and you and Aaron and my mom and wow. Yeah, I've just been 
catching up on my correspondence. It's a great forced uh, vacation. That is a great forced vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the next note that I had after Bob Ross was about Ice Ice Baby and Vanilla Ice that we talked about with the um, essentially musical you know, royalties issues there. And sure. if you're interested, I would be willing to share with you the information I discovered about Vanilla Ice and Queen and the battle for that sound. Battle is such a dramatic <laughs> word. Well, the, the article that I read was actually very dramatic. In fact, it says drama in the title. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. The title is, this is from the New York Post. The title is The Chilling Drama Behind Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> 30, chilling drama. Yeah. 30 years after its release. Wow. So it sounds like there's more drama than just the um than just the issue with Queen's original under pressure, which is of course where Ice Ice Baby was sampled from. Um they did not clear the under pressure sample at first. So they had to settle on a deal um, on the publishing of the sample into the new song with Queen and David Bowie, who are all credited as co-writers of the song. There's also some issues with who wrote the lyrics. Turns out the, um, the guy who got that sample and I can't remember his name. Ah, oh, here it is. Floyd DJ Earthquake Brown. What a name. I know. He's the man responsible for, um, for sampling Queen and for sampling that baseline and adding it to Ice Ice Baby. He, I don't think, is credited as the producer for the song, despite the fact that he was. There's also some issues with, you know, okay, who wrote the lyrics? Just, it is a bit of a chilling drama. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know what I took away from that story? What? If ever I have a kid, I'm going to give him a DJ middle name. <laughs> Set him up to be a DJ. What would your, like, what would your name be? Um, oh, I don't know about mine, but I'm, I'm thinking like... <laughs> why is, Stevie is Del Rio. <laughs> Stevie Del Rio. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what came to mind for some reason, no reason whatsoever, is Tommy... DJ Snizzle Snaz Lutz. Snizzle, Snizzle Snaz. Snaz. <laughs> I, I 100,000% thought you were going to say Stevie DJ Del Rio Lutz. Ah, I like that. Yeah. Do we give them the background story on that? Is that too long of a tangent? It might be too long. The short story is that um, for some reason, one of our friends... We've always said that she would name her children Stevie Del Rio and something else. And I don't even, I don't even know why. She said she liked the name Stevie and we needed to come up with a middle name and we were pointing at things on a map. And we thought Stevie Del Rio sounded nice. And she said, we've ruined the name Stevie for her. Why are we so strange? Why do we ruin everything? Yeah. This is why we can't have nice things. Um, Okay. So... Nice. I I stand by that. What? That Stevie Del Rio is a nice name. I think it is too. It rolls off the tongue nicely. Mm -hmm. It could be like a famous name, like Stevie Del Rio. See? Yeah. Okay, let's bring it back. Let's start this conversation with her again and really advocate for Stevie Del Rio. I think we should. Okay, back to (laughs) Savania. 
<laughs> I don't even know how we got there. <laughs> Back I never to know how we get where we are. Right. Um, so she started her master's because she was bored and she finished it. Who does that? I know that's what I said. She finished it, which this maybe is even a crazy, um, a crazier thing is that she finished her master's while in law school. Holy smokes. See, now here's the thing. I, she's on the list of people I want to be friends with, but I'm a little intimidated. <laughs> she has a lot of knowledge in her brain. Mm-hmm. A lot, but she's super down to earth. I mean, you heard the interview. No, yeah, she's like a delight. Yeah, a true delight. It was, I, I had a blast. That was, I mean, I enjoy all of our guests, but I feel like with her specifically, I went down, I had some personal interest questions because of my own research and she was great. Notice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just figured, you know, this is my podcast. I'll, I'll decide what I want to ask. <laughs> That is the rules. It is the rules. But I do like to ask questions. Those are the rules. <laughs> but I do like to ask questions that are interesting, hopefully, to more people than just me. So well, yeah, it was they were great questions. Yeah. But, but yeah, what a what a boss lady. Mm-hmm. She's uh going through law school, gets her master's, and has a kid, is a mom just writing books. Like what? Mm-hmm. Isn't she doing, does she sleep? Do we think? Right. I, I do not know if she has the time to sleep. I think about uh, my own endeavors and, you know, with PhD and work and, and bloom pod and, and so on and so forth. And I think she has 10 times that on her plate. Mm. So I cannot imagine she has time to sleep. Yeah, no, um, I don't know how she does it. Right. It's a very impressive you know, that makes me think of um, somebody put that we all have, like Beyonce also only has 24 hours in a day, mm. which is true, but not all of us have the resources and access that Beyonce has to maximize her 24 hours. But do you think she started off that way? She built it. I don't right right I'm saying now because the point they were saying like you know Beyonce has 24 hours you have 24 hours like you know live your life why aren't we Beyonce (laughs) I could be this generation's modern day Beyonce not that she's like older outdated or anything I take back right I think I love she's magic I think Beyonce is our Beyonce Beyonce is our Beyonce, but um, <laughs> could we be the next Beyonce? I don't think so. <laughs> now, let me see a little ditty real quick. Let's see <laughs> uh, we'll have to start doing those hoot nannies. <laughs> and then we, can, <laughs> then we can get to it earlier. Um, so everyone is aware, uh, Melissa wanted to change the intro from shenanigan to hoot nanny. But after a quick Google search, we learned that a hoot nanny is a small uh, gathering complete with folk music and occasional dancing. Which I thought might spice up the podcast a little bit, but Taylor disagreed. <laughs> I wasn't opposed to it. I said, maybe we should change the name to Hoot Nanny. I like dancing and music. Great. All right. Next week on Hoot Nanny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good steps. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay. But how do we get our hands on JoJo's legal adventures? I 
No, no, I was also wondering that. I'm going to like maybe do another quick Google search um, and see if I can find it via Amazon or something. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Um, the one that I found is called Jojo Learns About Credibility. I like the idea of introducing kids to like real life careers and jobs outside of like firefighter, astronaut, and building an appreciation for the work that those people do. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure lots of kids want to be a lawyer, but there's like, I just like the concept behind it. Like there aren't books about like, this is what it's like to be a lawyer and this is the good it brings to the world and this is how it helps people. And like introducing um, real like it's perfect for this podcast. People, real people with everyday, like everyday people with big dreams, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of bringing like a more real perspective to the career paths out there at a younger age and developing a, an appreciation for jobs that don't necessarily have an appreciation is a really cool concept. Yeah. I agree. I do feel like uh, most people as children, you know, it's like, I want to be an astronaut or a doctor or whatever, but lawyers, not something you decide on until later in life. I feel like, yeah, it's a cool concept. There's also one about voting. I just found, I'm sure there's more it's a series that she's, I think still continuously working on from what it sounded like. She said they're, they're all written, but not all published yet. Right. Right. Very cool stuff. And neat that it was born out of, um, you know, essentially conversations and education she was doing with her son. Yeah. And also neat that he gets to see himself in the books. I love that. I know. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. My next notes, um, again, I told you I would revisit NIL. Um, so if you have something else that you'd like to recap, please feel free at this time. Uh, nope, we can circle back to NIL. I've just got a smattering of other notes here. One just says rejection. So we can skip that one. What do do we think that's about? (laughs) As you asked her, like, what things she's been through that have helped develop her into the person that Mm. is rejection. And her, she gave advice to continue dreaming. Mm -hmm. And that's when she segued into, like, Mind over matter. Anyways, I'm just recapping at this point. Let's go back to NIL. (laughs) Uh, I mean, really, what? so what I had written down was just that it's not, for for college athletes, it is new. I think the way that it has been represented in the media is like it's this brand new thing that nobody knows anything about, but it's been around for quite some time for professional athletes who have been partnering with brands for, I don't know, decades. Um, I'm trying to think of something specific. Michael Jordan and Gatorade, mm-hmm. Serena Williams, and Nike, I feel like. Lots of stuff. Yeah, lots of stuff. The most recent one, which I just posted about this um, recently, some of the more interesting NIL deals that were kind of born out of just saying, hey, I'm interested in this. Um, she was in the, I don't know if you've seen the commercial for, I think, DirecTV where she, the guy's going back and forth. He's like, watch, I can switch channels so easily. Serena Williams, or like, yeah, Serena Williams in tennis, Wonder Woman, Serena Williams, Wonder Woman. And then all of a sudden the channels merge and Serena Williams turns into Wonder Woman. And now, now a comic book is being created based on that commercial, which I think is really cool. 
That is cool. Yeah. There's also this you will appreciate. I think you like Doritos. Um, (laughs) (laughs) there was a, um, a, uh, I think she was an Olympian. She ran during the Olympic qualifier and she ran with Doritos cool ranch earrings in and either had previously had the nickname. I'm not sure. Or earned the nickname, um, Christina cool ranch Clemens. And then Doritos of course saw that they, she now I think is a brand ambassador for them. They made her like a, you know, like a Wheaties box, but a Doritos bag that she's on, which is super cool. Neat. So you're saying if I start dangling cheese from my ears, I can get sponsored by Kraft or something? I think that is, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. A lot of air time for Kraft to find out that I am, I've fashioned earrings from their cheese, but were they real Doritos? Cause that's next level. No, they were not Um, real Doritos. It would have been cool. Just Just like like tiny Doritos. Like (laughs) (laughs) that wouldn't stay on your ear. Why? She's running real fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she would have to move slow. Also, just last night, why? I'm on this weird tangent of <clears throat> um, designing functional earrings. Last night, I thought maybe you can have some dangle earrings that have like AirPods at the end so you don't lose them. They're just always hanging from your ear. And then you just bloop, pop them right in and then you take them out and they're just hanging. Now that's but you, like bedazzle them or something. That is interesting. I think it would be an accessory like with the uh, Apple, the Apple watch, you know, they have different bands you can put on. So why would you not have different ear things? Yeah. Okay. I'm starting a line of functional earrings. You guys, some are going to function as a post-race snack. I was wondering what the rest of the functions would be. (laughs) So we're going to function as headphones. If anyone else has Any other ideas for this new line? You just, you let me know. I'll keep you posted. Um, One other thing that we talked about was the impact that NIL could have on the field of student athlete development, which, you know, I have worked in for six years. I always want to say eight, but I worked in event management for a year and a half to start off with. Anyway, um, it's interesting to consider what NIL could mean for student athlete development. And I think that there are like student athlete development is often considered like the fluff. You know what I mean? Like, like, Oh, we can do this because we happen to have enough money. So we're offering education. It's like when schools started to lose um, state or federal funding, and then they started cutting music and arts programs and just did like the basic stuff, which ultimately impacts the students and their ability to be like well-rounded human beings, potentially explore something that they're interested in, you know, mm-hmm. it bums me out a little bit that that's the way that things go. But I hope that rather than having a negative impact, I, I hope that it helps to solidify the field because education, particularly career preparedness, professional education is so, so, so important for all college students, but in particular, I think for, for special populations like student athletes. Do you think though, that this change could risk like further loss in funding for academic programs? Because instead of 
uh, companies and brands sponsoring teams. They're funneling money straight into the athletes. There's potential there. I don't know that it would, I don't know that it would impact academic programs. I think where we might see it, I don't know. Gosh, there's just so much. I mean, we were talking about it going through just even with the legislation. There's just so much um, stickiness, I feel like, to it right now, where it's like we don't know how we don't know what it's going to look like five, 10 years from now. And it certainly has changed. The legislation has changed college athletics as we know it. And I will be eager to see how it continues to impact the field across the board for student athletes, for athletic departments, for individual staff members of those athletic departments. It's going to be, there are a lot of like potential avenues that you could go down. Yeah. We're kind of at a pivotal point. We've, we've been watching um, Loki. Um, and so my mind is like the timeline is branching. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways it could go right now. You haven't watched Loki. I'm gathering by your I face. Loki. Um, <laughs> that went over my head. All right. Well, I've been watching squid games. So you want to talk about that? No, I do not. I will not be watching squid game. I do not like scary things and mm. I will not be watching that. It is mildly horrific. And by mildly, I mean, definitely horrific. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds definitely not like something that I want to be a part of. Can you hear this guy crying with his, um, and by this guy, I mean, my dog. <laughs> <laughs> there's just a man behind you <laughs> right. there's a guy who came in here and he just started crying <laughs> can you hear him it's real embarrassing <laughs> no my uh my dog <laughs> feels like a good segue to wrap things up <laughs> <laughs> i feel like at this point people are just like are we just in- intruding on a phone call between these two <laughs> what's happening yeah I mean, we did spend some time recapping, you know, we always do. We always hit the main points and then inevitably shenanigans. Yeah, I do have, wait, I have two, two more notes. Okay. Um, I liked the statement that she made um, about being in tune with your fears and pushing through them. So you don't get stuck mm-hmm. because that's the thing that we're, will kill your dreams. Like that statement right there is like, I think, we all experience that at some point where we're like, we know what we want to do and we don't have the confidence to push through the fear of failure. And one of her points is that rejection can really shape who you are um, and change your perspective on the world. So like, why are we so scared of rejection and failure when it's a, a really great growth opportunity, but we hold ourselves back I'm speaking to myself right now. <laughs> you're speaking you're speaking to me as well. Have no fear. <laughs> Melissa no, have is fears, but push through them. Oh. <laughs> I was going to make a rhyme out of it. Isn't that like a standard? Oh. Have no fear. Yeah. Melissa is here. Like <laughs> don't expect me to solve all your problems. <laughs> a lot of pressure. Um, the other thing I wanted to note was that I really loved that Savanya was very honest in her answer about what onions are, um, because I think every guest leading up to this point, I think a good majority of them considered saying that, but were um, too polite. And I really love that Savanya was just honest and was like, 
they stink. (laughs) That literally was the last note that I have, which I thought was hilarious because literally no one has said that. No one has said just straight up that onions stink, but it did remind me of um, championship baker, Juliana Jung, who said that onions are scary. (laughs) Almost as That was an unexpected answer. It was. That caught me way off guard. (laughs) Ooh. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, never mind. (laughs) I've been thinking maybe it's time to switch it up for that question. Do a new fill in the blank. Maybe they can ask us what they really think of us. And by they, I mean you. (laughs) That's not a fill in the blank. Or unless I just was like, Taylor is. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Or keep us humble, depending. Very true. If you applied some of the answers that we've gotten about onions to us as individuals, I mean. We are delightful in the right dish. Right. We are. um, Not for everybody. Somebody said useful. Yeah, not for everybody, but useful, I think. Um, I'm losing all the words. Obviously, we have stink and scary. So those are things to consider, but perhaps it's time to to change it up, to ask a new fill-in-the-blank question. You always uh, leave us with fun projects for the next week. <laughs> a new section! <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go ahead and take this opportunity to sign us off. Did you have anything else you want to say? Nope, I just was going to say, with that, let's close it out. All right, friends, thanks for listening. And uh, that's the way the onion peels. Thanks for joining us. We're so excited to to have had Savania on, as I mentioned. Uh, We'll see you back next week with another fabulous guest. We are so excited to have them on. We'll see you then. (laughs) 